Good morning. My name is Judy Laramie, and it's my privilege to read this scripture passage this morning. It's from Galatians 4, 12 through 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Judy, for reading scripture. Thank you, Sarah, for leading us in worship. And thank you to Jessica and to Tony for helping lead us as well. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to Disciples Church. It is great to see you this morning. I'm so glad that you were able to make it here safely. Uh, this is the first morning that I had to snow blow, and I was reminded how much I don't like that, especially early in the morning. So I'm, like Jessica, I'm impressed that you are here with us this morning. I'm grateful. Uh, my name is Dave Hahn, if you don't know me, and I'm one of the pastors here at Disciples Church, and it is my privilege to open God's Word with and for you this morning. So if you were here a few weeks ago, when I preached last, we studied Galatians 3, where Paul called the Galatians fools at best, or idiots at worst. So that was fun. That was a fun week. But in today's passage, we find Paul softening a little bit, and he refers to the Galatian believers as brothers and as little children. And as we discussed at the beginning of chapter 3 a few weeks ago, there was actually a good reason for Paul to use the hard language that he did. The very thing that motivated Paul to call them foolish or to call them idiots is the very same thing that led him to use terms like brothers and little children. And it is this. Paul had deep concern and real love for the believers in Galatia. And one could argue that it was a parental love and concern for these believers. And like God, good and loving parents understand when to whisper, they understand when to speak, and they know when they need to shout. Not out of passivity on the one hand, or anger and aggression on the other, but in order to most effectively get the attention of their children. Parents know how to be able to get the attention of their kids for their protection and for their joy. And Paul, as both a good shepherd and a protective spiritual father, demonstrated real concern for what his brethren and these little children in Galatia were hearing and believing from the false teachers who had ultimately infiltrated the Galatian church. 
And in today's passage, we certainly see Paul making more of a gentle appeal than he had done so to this point in this letter, while also making clear that his emphatic language was born of love, not from a place of personal hurt. And though Paul's communicative style and approach had shifted, his overall concern and fervor for these Galatian believers had not changed at all. Paul was entreating and he was begging the Galatian believers, which is a very different feel than what's been happening up to this point. John Stott talked about it this way. He said, in Galatians chapters 1 through 3, we have been listening to Paul the apostle, Paul the theologian, Paul the defender of the faith, but now, now we are hearing Paul the man, Paul the pastor, Paul the passionate lover of souls. Let's look again at verse 12 as Judy read it for us. It says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Verse 12, at first glance, seemed to contradict what Paul had really spent his entire ministry doing, which was making much of Jesus and making very little of himself. And yet, Paul goes as far as to entreat the Galatians and to beg them to become as he is. So what is Paul getting at there? Why is Paul saying, become as I am? Well, Paul recognized that the Galatian church had allowed false teachers to bind them up to the very things that had once imprisoned them. Even though he knows that they had been set free in the Spirit through faith in Christ. So they had at one time been set free, and now they were being bound up again. And much of the Galatian church, he had learned, had come to abandon the very gospel that Paul had proclaimed to them, that a relationship with God came through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And they instead had embraced what the Judaizers had taught them, which was that Jesus plus the law and all of its rituals were the things that made one righteous. And by reconnecting with a law and rituals that cannot give life and cannot make anyone righteous, the Galatians had become disconnected from Christ and his gospel. In his time in Galatia, Paul had taught both in word and deed that salvation was an act of the Spirit, not of works that it came through faith in Christ, not through adherence to the law. And it was that gospel that the Galatians had come to believe, as we read about in Galatians chapter 1. But they had become bewitched, as it were. While Paul had remained steadfast in the gospel, objecting to salvation through the law that he once obeyed and works that he once performed. And it was Paul's steadfastness in the gospel and the freedom that he had in Christ that Paul was begging the Galatians to imitate. So, when we read, become as I am, Paul is encouraging the the Galatian church to become disciples of Jesus Christ and his gospel, just as he was. In Matthew 28... 
which is often referred to as the Great Commission, Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice that Jesus' last words to them were not to make converts, but to make disciples. To teach others what Jesus himself had taught them. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them. Now, the Galatian believers were certainly converts to Christianity, but my friends, discipleship goes beyond conversion. To be a disciple of someone or something assumes lifelong learning, believing, and growing. Not necessarily this straight upward line without any bumps or bruises along the way, but an overall desire for and a trajectory of growth, maturity, and correction as it is needed. That's what discipleship is. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson, we quote this a lot, in his book of a similar name, defined discipleship this way, and I think it's very helpful. Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. So we're not talking about a moment. We're talking about a trajectory. We're talking about a lifetime. So my friends, Disciples of Jesus Christ are not made through a one-time profession of faith in him. What scripture would call conversion or would call justification. Nor are disciples made through a multi-week course resulting in a certificate of discipleship that is suitable for framing. Rather, Disciples of Christ demonstrate a continual growth in their faith in and their love for Christ. Rooted in the truth of and the teachings of Jesus, allowing God's Spirit to continually form Christ in them. And disciples do not graduate, as it were, until their life on earth is finished. That is what scripture calls sanctification. And so long as you and I, as disciples of Christ, or any other disciple of Christ, has breath in our lungs on this earth, we should be growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. To be converted, to be born again, much like physical birth, is the beginning of a new life, not the fullness thereof. And discipleship, much like all that follows physical birth, is a continuation and a maturing in the new life that has been introduced. If it works that way with us physically, why would it not work that way with us spiritually? And just as a newborn baby needs certain things to grow and mature into fully formed adults, so it is with those born of the Spirit. Oh, it's been helpful personally for me to think of it this way. So see if it's helpful for you. When you and I came to faith in Christ, we were justified by God. Remember what the word justified means? Just as if I'd never sinned. So when you and I came to faith in Christ, 
we were justified by God. Meaning that in a singular moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we were converted into holy, spotless, blameless, righteous, fully forgiven, born again, children and heirs of God in Christ. Irrevocably so. Irrevocably so. Not because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did. And as justified believers, one day you and I will be glorified with Christ. But as new creations of God in Christ who have been justified and who will be glorified, we live in between the two realities of justification and glorification. Does that make sense? And we will spend the rest of our days on earth becoming who God says we already are. Because God sits over time. And the moment that you are justified and the moment that you are glorified and the sanctification that happens in between are things that he sees at once. So you and I were declared holy, righteous, blameless, spotless, righteous, born again, fully forgiven sons and daughters of God in Christ. And we will spend our lives here on earth becoming who God has declared us to be. That is called sanctification. That is called holiness. That, my friends, is called discipleship. And that is what Paul is encouraging when he says, become as I am. The Galatian church, in particular, was in desperate need of correction. Desperate need of correction, which is part of discipleship. That's a part of discipleship. And they were in need of correction because they had tethered themselves to those who would not only slow their progress of faith in Christ, but potentially take them off the path to and with Christ entirely. Not just slow their progress, but take them off the path to and with Christ entirely. And what disciples of Jesus Christ do for both non-believers and for other disciples of Jesus Christ is demonstrate in thought and word and deed faith in Christ. Dependence upon Christ. Growth in Christ. And adherence to the gospel and the word of Christ. Not only in our victories, but listen, in our failings too. Do you know that you are able to demonstrate and be a disciple maker even in your failings, in and through how you respond, in and through how you react, in and through who it is that you run to when you fail? Friends, what makes a disciple of Jesus Christ is not a perfect or a sinless life. And if you want evidence of that, look at your own life, certainly. But look at the lives of the disciples throughout the book of Acts. We are not talking about perfect men and women. After all, at the heart of Christianity is the admission that we are incapable of living a perfect and a sinless life. And that Christ came to live it for us. At the heart of Christianity is an understanding that the only hope we have, the only hope we have is to run to the one who extends grace and love to us and forgave us in full before we had committed even one sin. 
All of your sin and all of my sin were future sins when Christ died. Disciples of Jesus Christ trust God in Christ to lead them toward holiness and away from sin. But when we do, when we do sin, disciples run to God for the mercy and the grace that he has already provided. Disciples Church, it is in beholding Christ and it is in adoring Christ that our behavior changes, not the other way around. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 from the New Living Translation. It says, So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Did you hear it? That was it. In and through seeing the glory of the Lord, that's beholding, we are made more and more like him. That's behavior, and we are changed into his glorious image. Our eyes and our minds and our hearts more and more and more on Christ is what ultimately leads to sanctification and discipleship. And we know that Christ being clearly portrayed as crucified is where the Galatians began. It's where anyone who is a believer in Christ begins. But the Judaizers in Galatia were teaching believers to trust in the Mosaic law and for rituals for salvation, not in Christ, and to perform good works for their redemption rather than by faith to turn to Jesus who forgave them once for all on the cross, accomplishing on their behalf what they never could. In the most bizarre of exchanges, Paul, a devout and decorated Jew by his own admission, had become like a Gentile unto the Galatians for the sake of the gospel. And now, these same Gentile Galatians, having received the gospel by faith, sought to live as Jews and to look for righteousness in a law that was never given to them. The law was not for Gentiles. And this is exactly what Paul was talking about in verses 8 through 11 of the same chapter as Jonathan preached it last week. It reads, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You were once slaves when you, didn't, when you did not know God and when God did not know you. And then you were set free. And now you're looking to be enslaved again? It's foolishness. It's foolishness. Paul was once known as Saul of Tarsus, and he had lived most of his life according to the Mosaic Law. But 
by the grace of God, he had come to live by faith in Christ. That's what Galatians 2.20 is about, right? And faith in Christ was the message that he faithfully proclaimed to everyone everywhere. Saying to the Galatians in particular, don't be like the Judaizers. Instead, be like me. Don't be imprisoned by the law and good works as I once was. I know where you have been. Instead, be free in Christ, finding your joy and your salvation in him. Continuing in verses 13 through 16. Yes, that was all only one verse. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So in these next four verses, Paul reminds the Galatians of their history together, beginning with the reason that Paul had visited Galatia in the first place, saying in verse 13, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. There is so much in that verse that we could possibly miss. What the ailment was that Paul is referencing here, no one really knows for sure, But what we do know based on this verse is that God, in his sovereignty, chose to bring it upon Paul. He chose to bring it on Paul. Why? For the purpose of bringing the gospel to the Galatians. Friends, have you ever considered that the difficulties in your life and the difficulties in my life are heaven sent? That they are heaven sent at least in part for the purpose of bringing the gospel to those who need to hear it. That God, according to his will, has determined your steps and my steps, both the good ones and the bad ones, to accomplish his will, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. So whatever it is that you are dealing with, whatever difficulty has befallen you, understand that God has a purpose in it, not just in your life, but in the lives of others. That the gospel, in and through what you say, and in and through what you do, and in and through how you live, might be preached to them. Do not waste it. Do not waste it. Do you know how radically different you and I would view the difficulties and challenges of our own lives if we lived as though God gave them to us for a divine purpose meant to bring him glory? Imagine if every time a difficulty befelled you, God told you, here's how I'm going to use it, to bring others to know the gospel and to bring me glory. Would you think differently about that difficulty? Let me challenge you this week to be so bold as to ask God to give you a heart and a mind that sees your trials and your difficulties that way. You may not feel that way now, 
But would you ask God to give you a heart that sees things that way? At this time, among both Jews and Gentiles, physical ailments in general were seen as the judgment of God or God's, depending on your cultural thing. And those who were afflicted with an ailment of some kind were ignored at best or rejected and cast out at worst. But the Galatians did none of that with Paul. Rather, they received him and his message in spite of his sufferings. Specifically, they received him, he says, as though he were an angel of God. With Paul saying of them, if I transplants were possible, you would have given me yours. They were not possible at that time. So in verses 12 through 16, Paul reminded the Galatians of the love shown to them by God through him in that the gospel came to, him, came to them. God showed his love to them through Paul in that the gospel came to them. And Paul also reminded them of the love that they in turn showed him. And in view of that mutual love, the fact that God loved the Galatians through Paul and that they in turn loved Paul, he asks in verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Do you remember that our relationship began and was founded on love? And am I now your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? My friends, I would argue that Paul's love is made most evident in that he was willing to tell them the truth. That he was willing to tell them the truth. Even if it broke his heart to do so, and even if, listen, it made them feel bad. Just because it makes you feel bad doesn't mean it's not love. Moving on to verses 17 and 18. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. The interesting thing about these two verses is how it juxtaposes the love that Paul and the Galatians had shared with what only appeared to be love from the false teachers and the Judaizers. Because the Judaizers made much of the Galatians, but it was for their own benefit. It was for their own benefit. Whether the Galatians recognized it as such or not. And they did so, the Judaizers did so, so that they would be served. That they would be exalted in place of God. And to disconnect the Galatians, to shut out the Galatians from the truth of God in Christ. And by leading them to embrace a lie. And that, my friends, is where legalism and false doctrine of any kind always leads. It always leads to religious leaders who want to be served rather than to serve. Who want to be given to rather than to give. All the while holding tight the chains of those that they have put in bondage. Bondage to a law that was fulfilled by Christ. So they seek to be served and exalted. They seek to be given to, and all the while, they hold the chains 
of those they are keeping in bondage to those who ought not be in bondage because Christ fulfilled the law. And my friends, no matter how sweet the words, no matter how beautiful the tone of voice, there is no love in any of those things and there is certainly no joy or freedom. Beware, Paul instructs them and us, of those who make more of you or of themselves than they do of Jesus Christ. And beware of those who love the spotlight, the acclaim, and the power that can come with leading others. Beware of those people. Because no one, there is no one who has anything to boast in or about other than Christ. We have no power outside of the Holy Spirit within us, and we have no salvation apart from the gospel. Disciples Church, law-based and works-based righteousness only leads to one of two places, boasting in one's ability to keep the law while at the same time condemning others, or self-flagellation for your inability to keep the law while still condemning others. It is a man-centered theology, and it is therefore Christless. Finishing up with verses 19 and 20. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Do you know that this is the only time in all of Paul's writings where Paul refers to his recipients as little children? The Apostle John does so often, but this is the only time that Paul does that. It is a term of deep affection that is very unusual for him. And verse 19 uses interesting language that reveals much about Paul himself and the church that he's writing to. We see Paul compare the love that a parent has for his or her child to the kind of love that a pastor ought to have for his people. Much like a mother, Paul metaphorically claims to be in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. As anyone who loves someone else knows, it can be agonizing, agonizing to see a child or any other loved one suffer. To see a child or a loved one to be misled or to see them be harmed in any way. And as both a spiritual father and as a pastor, what Paul wants most for his brothers and the little children in the Galatian church is for Christ to be formed in them. To the point that it feels like the anguish of childbirth to him. And based on the fact that the Galatians were trusting in the law and their good works for righteousness, rather than the spirit of Christ himself, Paul said unto them, Christ may be in you, but he is not yet formed in you. And that is the goal, my friends. That is the goal. Christ in us, fully formed in us, our hope of glory. So it isn't just about election. It isn't just about justification. It isn't only about glorification, but it is about sanctification and holiness, and it is about discipleship. 
And if justification or glorification were all that mattered to God, if that was the goal, the moment that we were saved, we would have vanished from the earth and been taken to glory. I mean, what would be the point in sticking around? But, but, as Christ followers, we are in the world, though we are not of it. We are as ambassadors and as ministers and as priests. And we remain here on earth so that Jesus Christ might be increasingly revealed in us through all of our days on earth. Do you know that that is why you're here? The answer to what is my purpose in life is very, very simple. Starting with, it isn't about you. We are sanctified in our time here on earth and we are growing in discipleship in our time here on earth and it is not just for our own benefit but for the benefit of all of those that God puts around us. And it is most of all for his glory. So if you are in this room today or you're in the sound of my voice and you identify as a Christian, I think it is worth considering the following questions for yourself and then I want to challenge you to ask God to reveal the answers to you. So not only be introspective, but actually be willing to listen what God has to say. If I have been converted, am I also being discipled? If I have been converted, am I also being discipled? Having been converted, having been justified, am I also being sanctified? Am I growing into God, who God says that I already am? Third question, who has God put in my life as a disciple maker that I might become like them? And fourth, who has God put in my life for me to be a disciple maker unto them that they might become like me? Disciples Church, as your pastors, Jonathan and I, what we want most for each of you is to see Christ formed in you. That's what we want most for you. Not that we, as individuals, or anyone else would be formed in you, but Christ. And when we see you struggling to that end, I can promise you that we feel it. We talk about it. And we pray about it. We pray for you and we seek to live in such a way that reflects Christ unto you. And to that end, this passage is instructional regarding what you should be looking for in us as your pastors. And it is honestly the same thing that Paul sought to give to the believers in Galatia. First, that we would make evident our love for you and our intent to serve you. Second, that we would always be willing to tell you the truth. Even if it is hard for us to say, and even if it's hard for you to hear. And then thirdly, that we would have hearts that long to see you grow into fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ. Because like Paul, we may not always be present with you, but Christ always will. 
And every once in a while, our tone might be a little harsh, probably me more than Jonathan, but I'm working on that. But please know that it is our greatest desire for you and all who step foot in this place to hear and experience and grow in the fullness of the gospel. The gospel that says that we were born into this world as spiritually dead, sinful people without hope. But God, in his immeasurable love and grace, saw fit to give his only begotten son as a substitute for the punishment that we deserve. And that through faith in the crucified and resurrected Christ, God gave us his Holy Spirit to permanently indwell us and sanctify us and lead us to glory. And we as your pastors are extremely privileged to continually proclaim this gospel message to you, even as you seek to proclaim it to others, which you should. And we also, we also consider it a great joy to walk alongside you in sanctification, not only as your pastors, but as fellow disciples, for as long as God would allow us to do so. We love you guys. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we lift our hearts unto you as your children, bought with the blood of your precious Son, and we thank you for justifying us, for sanctifying us, and your promise to one day glorify us with and in Jesus. We have been saved by grace through faith, and it is Christ who now lives in us. Would you cause him to be fully formed in us, not only as converts, but as disciples? Remind us of your incredible gift of grace and keep us from trusting in ourselves for our right standing before you and our life with you. Create in us, God, a deep desire to behold Christ and to run to Christ, especially in our sin, believing that you will transform us in our, in our so doing. Father, in your goodness, give us a growing desire for obedience and for discipleship, not to earn your love and salvation, but because it has already been given. And then help us to make disciples even as we become disciples by your spirit. We love you, Lord, and we give you all the glory today. In Christ's most beautiful name we pray, amen.